Hello. Yeah. Who are you? Hey, Bobby. Bobby. Bobby the banana. Bob the banana. Bob the banana. Well, welcome, Bob. Uh, <laughs> How are you doing? You seem to be quite anxious there, Bob. Okay. Well, Bob, I, I can't quite understand you very well, but I think what you're probably asking is, is that we've you've come into the science shed. Do you know what the science shed is, Bob? You don't know what the science shed is. Well, the science shed is a, is a science podcast that comes out every two weeks with two university academics. My name's Steve Lee. I'm a chemist. I love And my colleague is Nick Evans, who's a biologist. Would you like to listen, Bob? Okay. Bunsen, Dolly, Internal, Why do we need Petri, Oscar, Isaac, Transplanting? Nick. Oh, hello, Steve. Um, How you doing? Yeah, it's good. Waterloo was busy today. It was um, King's Cross. I left my bike at King's Cross today. So oh, did you? My yeah. bike is, um, uh, it's, oh, it's downstairs. It's downstairs. We're at Guy's Hospital, I, by the way. We're at Guy's Hospital again. Um, yeah, I was going to, because I had all the podcasting equipment and I was going to cycle through London, but then I, I was running a bit late, so I thought I'd be all hot and sweaty. I feel bad that you carry that, but you did express I don't a, mind it. an enjoyable, and I, I've got too much stuff to um, to carry it back. Yeah. I could bungee it, though. Next time, let's be more organised. I'll bring my bungees and I could take it back with me. That sounds good. Then we mm. can then we can uh, share the joy of all of the technical equipment that goes with the science shed. It's I actually do, not yeah. too bad. We've been. Well, I, th- I don't think we necessarily need the stands, to be honest, Steve. I We're mean, doing this with handheld microphones. That's very off piece for us. Steve likes to have the whole shebang. Yeah, and because I have to edit these things and and deal with all of. Well, I edit them as well. I know, but you don't do a very good job. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Steve, how are you? Well, so what's uh, been going on? What's been going on for in the Evans lab? I feel a bit inhibited, Steve. Why are you inhibited, Nick? Because there's a, in the next room where we're broadcasting from, there's a guy giving a talk, and the wall's quite thin. It's one of these temporary partition wall things that can be. So you feel back. like you can't scream, and he he can see me. He's standing directly behind the glass <laughs> bit. He's got a picture of a tadpole on the screen. Okay. And one of the tadpoles has been looks like it's been struck by lightning. Is it like trying to go for a wee while someone's watching? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But the thing is, I'm acutely conscious. I don't want to talk too loudly. Okay. This is quite a prestigious department where there's some very famous scientists doing work on stem cells. Right. And if, like, I start screaming and doing my stupid Brian accent... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then it'll be embarrassing. So I feel a bit inhibited. Okay, well, why don't we focus on the science a bit and then that'll end and then you can dick about a bit. Bring it on, Steve. Hey. Space shuttles. Um, yeah. Remember the space shuttle? 
It's a sad. It's a sad day that we don't fly it anymore. But it's good. It's good a bit of engineering. Isn't Are they it? definitely finished? They're all done. So they they're in museums now. So there's no way they could ever be nah. used again. No, we we use it's all um, commercial. SpaceX and Elon and all those people. So US doesn't finance. Not directly. They pay. They pay contracts for external companies. But NASA. It. NASA doesn't fly any rockets anymore. Nothing. No. Does it all on the SpaceX? So they, no re- they refuel the International Space Agent with either Russian rockets or um, they do it via uh, these commercial sources. Well, why doesn't NASA fund anymore? Because it's cheaper not to. So they they just they put out a big call and they said, right, you find a cheap way to get stuff into space, and we'll get. So they just write you a big check. NASA says, you know, here's you know, ten million, hundred million, whatever it is, and then they put in competition into the market. And there's a couple of different competing companies that will try and do it in a cheap and efficient and safe way. Where capitalism at work I know, really. Um, but it required us to do it, you know, well, the taxpayer to do it in the... Um, I, d- I don't like that so much because if, you, if you're doing it with public money, you keep all of the ownership of all of the technology and stuff. That's true. If you contract it out, it becomes third party, so yeah. you don't have any control anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, so I was, um, I was reading about the space shuttle. Um, and it's really. And I I've found got it really a. Um, I just want to say. Go on then. I've got a Heinz manual for the spaceship. <laughs> have you? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you know the Heinz manual. Yeah, they let you to change your oil. I, I have another one. Yeah, so I had. With the Heinz manual, I always found three spanners was my limit. I would take on a three spanner job. I would never go for the five. So I'm not really a mechanic. You remember that problems I had with my boot once. <laughs> <laughs> we discussed that previously. Even small problems in my car are insoluble. Yeah. But uh, we had a Rover. We bought a Mini Metro. A beautiful car that was. It's and it one. only had one owner. Yeah. But it was a Mini Metro. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't bit, matter. Yeah. It lasted a year. It doesn't matter how much you... But when we bought it, it came with the Mini Metro annual. The the space shuttle. No no manual. no no no. The <laughs> Rover One Eleven okay. manual came with it. The blue. Right. They're like these blue manuals yeah, that yeah, show yeah. you how to. Kind of like an instruction manual for, for people the, who for like to car. fix cars. So I had this book and I thought oh, I like this. I'm keeping this. It's lots cool. of exploded diagrams and in then it. A, and, and a couple of Christmases ago, my my mum and my stepdad bought me a Heinz Aww. manual for the space shuttle, which is more like a little fun annual. But I keep them side by side in my bookcase. <laughs> Space shuttle, <laughs> Rover One Eleven. Space two, shuttle, two, two pinnacles of human Rover achievement. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So I was um, I was reading about the um, uh, the engine, right? So you know, you like you imagine the back of the space shuttle. It's got three little rocket boosters, right? So it's got the three big long, to- big mega one, and two little fellas. So they're the they're, so one of those is the solid and liquid fuel. So the two little fellas are the solid fuel. Yeah. The big the big the big gun uh, in the middle was the was the um, uh, the liquid fuel, and then then there's what and then the, the whole thing together with the little thing that looked like an aeroplane was called the shuttle. So it wasn't yeah. just the spaceship bit; it was all of it was called the shuttle. And it was the idea was that it's reusable, so it was super cheap and it's very successful by NASA. But if you think about those little boosters at the bottom, right? I was thinking about them. So, so how? Are you talking about the big things that it sits on top of? When it no, I'm thinking up? about the little bits at the bottom that the fire comes out of that pushes. Oh, on the pushes. on the tail of the shuttle. Exactly. So ignoring the thing it sits on. So, so that's where all of the flames come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the yeah. shuttle itself has got three little holes. Three little holes at the back, but the fire, fire, exactly. Yeah, you know when you so see cool. it, it's really cool, isn't it? They look cool, don't they? Do you know that all those things are on gimbals, so that they they all rotate? rotate a bit. Yeah. Anyway, guess how hot it gets. We, where? The, the gas coming out the back of the actual space. Yeah. Well, we talked. We have talked in um, another segment about the temperature of that um, tavernac in the yeah. uh, in the fusion reactor. And you said that was 20 million degrees centigrade. So it's yeah. going to be colder than that. It's way colder than that, yeah. Okay, well, okay. Um, 100,000 degrees centigrade. No. 
Stephen Cold on that. But so it's it's about three thousand. So, so NASA quotes this on their website. This is exactly from where it, it reaches temperatures of up to three thousand three hundred and fifteen point six degrees Celsius. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, pretty precise. It's pretty precise. But it, what it does is it accelerates the spaceship all the way up to like seventeen thousand um, miles an hour, which is required to break the pull of the Earth's gravity, right? So no, but that's not... The, the, the actual thrust comes from those big lumps that it sits on, doesn't it, to get up to space? No. It all comes out there. So they're just, they're just big fuel tanks. The, the solid rock rockets fire, the little skinny ones do, but the big gun is just, just holds it. Um, the big one doesn't shoot stuff out no. the bottom of it. Look, go and look at a picture of it. Okay. So, you're saying, so when you see the space shuttle, right, this yeah. is, can I pick, I'm going to yeah. describe it. Yeah. You've got sitting in Cape Canaveral or whatever. Yeah. The space shuttle is sat, and it's on a massive cylindrical thing with a pointy thing at the top. Yeah. And, and then there's two things either side of it. Yeah. Two things either side of it. And then it shoots up, and you're saying that all of the flames come out of the two things on either side. The, so the, the solid the two fuel narrow ones of the, of the skinny ones they do but for and nothing comes out the big fella nothing comes out the big fella really yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea right. so the things that you're showing me now they're the things that are on the space shuttle this is what I'm talking about not, well they're on the space shuttle they're yeah. not on the, the things and they don't fire when it goes up there, they do. do they yeah, yeah do they, they? Yeah, 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 yeah yeah I didn't know that yeah so I thought they just they were just like for sh Fanning around in space. No, 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 no. So they actually shoot flames out of them. Yeah, yeah, that's the same thing. They, so they're just a big fuel tank, the the big orange thing, the big. So when it takes off on the thing, yeah, the flames are coming out the back of the actual space shuttle. Exactly. I never knew. Right. So here's the thing: it gets to three thousand three hundred degrees, which is hotter than the temperature at which the met the the alloy is made of melts. Yeah, but presumably it's by when it's that hot, it's some distance away from the. No. Things. So here's the thing. How does it work? How does it work? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So this, How does it work, Steve? So, so, the, so the problem is, just to recap, right, that you've got these big rockets and we're shooting out these, you know, it burns five tons of fuel a second to accelerate itself to 10,000, 17,000 miles an hour. Yeah. And doing that creates a lot of heat. And that heat is so hot that if, we, if, we just, if you just heated up the metal, that the, that, that cone, the, the booster, that the, the flame's coming out of, if you heat it up to that temperature, it would melt. Oh, shit, look, I'm watching it now. So I've just popped on a, a video of it shooting up. And you're absolutely right. It's coming out the back of the space shuttle yeah. and out of those two things on either side. Yeah, is it like coming out the space? Most of it's coming out of those things either side. There's very little coming. But out they're out the solid fuses. They fall, it falls off in a minute, and when the little the skinny ones fall off, the big guy takes over. Oh really? And then yeah. that's the thing which does it in the. Yeah. I'm just watching it. It's so cool. So here's here's how it works, right? So what what is um, rocket fuel? Do you know? Um, or at least it was in the shuttle. I think. And. Uh, oxygen. Yeah. So basically, yeah. you take hydrogen, you oxygen. Go, there's and you burn it. You can there you see go. there, yeah. So, after, so I'm looking at the video now. The two side things have dropped off. There's a big fuel tank, but all of the thrust is coming out the back of the space. The aeroplane. Yeah. Yeah. The shuttle itself. Well, there you go. So, so here's the How thing. How does it work, Steve? So, what's uh, what's so so the fuel to burn to burn these things is liquid hydrogen, liquid oxygen, which is cold. Right. Oh yes, it's, it's, it has to be cold. So it's liquid. Liquid hydrogen. Do you know how? Do you know what the temperature of liquid hydrogen is? Uh, I, if I'm going to put a guess out there, I'd say minus two hundred and thirty degrees. It's about uh, twenty Kelvin. So that's minus two hundred and fifty degrees. Yeah. Um, so what happens? So this is what's really cool, right? So so there's little. If you if you go up close to the little the little boosters where the rockets coming out of, and you look at it really closely, you can see there's little grooves in the in the booster. And what happens is that the fuel, in order to be burnt, 
goes through, it actually runs through these little channels in the booster to cool it down before it then gets put out through the back of the rocket. Right. So, so actually, like, it, you're flowing cold, ga cold liquefied gas through the cone. And the more you use the rocket, the more you need to go through, and the colder it gets because the more, the more cold liquid you pump mm. through. So it kind of self-cools so it down. Wow. That's cool. So the actual stuff that's about to be burnt is cooling it down before it gets burnt. Exactly. So it goes like, this is the life of my fuel. Yeah. Uh, come on. Cold, cold, cold. Cooling down. Cooling down. Cooling down. <laughs> cooling down. Cooling down. Cooling down. <laughs> oh, I'm cooling you down. Again. Like that. So the more you use it, the more fuel goes through, and therefore the cooler it gets. So actually, it's actually the bit self... The the end's the problem, though. Bit because the, the bit at the end... The bit, the end. No, but the, well, the, the bit comes no, out, no, no. pops out. No, no, because it's what happens is as, as it gets higher and higher, the amount of thrust you need requires less and less because oh, you right. get away from the Earth, so the pull of gravity is less. So you just throttle down the rocket, less fuel goes down, it just, and it needs less cooling then. Okay, yeah, yeah. So isn't it cool? So, so, so the, the design aspect of it meant that the, the more fuel you use, the more cooling you get, and therefore it doesn't melt. But if it didn't have that design, it would just melt. You just you you set off your 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 shuttle. Ingenious, a classic cool? example of killing two birds with one stone. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard of a blobfish, Steve? Yeah, I've heard of blobfish. Have you been there, those ugly things on the internet. <laughs> There's a picture of it. There's, there. an ugly, there, there, there's so many internet memes of the blobfish. So if you haven't seen a picture of a, a blobfish, listeners, please just Google, Google right blobfish. now. I'm looking at a photo of Steve. It's, it's one hell of an ugly fish. Yeah. It lives in the deep sea at high pressures. Right. That's partly the reason why you, when you pull it out, it, it looks, looks so like terrible. a blob. It just flops to nothing. Yeah. It's actually a very beautiful fish. Uh, you mean at high pressure? Yeah, yeah, when it's in its normal environment, it's a very beautiful fish. I can show you a picture of the blobfish. Now, there it is. Is that right? Oh, it looks amazing. It's all right, yeah. I mean, it it's looks not, quite prehistoric. It's not Cinderella. <laughs> That's a bad analogy. Don't you, don't it's not Kim Kardashian. Don't, don't you slut shame <laughs> the uh, blobfish. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's fine, but it's. Um, but I, I'm, I've been watching Blue Planet 2. It's yeah. fantastic. I really I've heard like, it's very good. I oh, haven't amazing. watched it. But I'm just waiting. Every time I switch it on, the I'm blobfish. like, please let the blobfish. 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 <laughs> but it's fantastic right. um, uh, program. It's really, really good. Uh -huh. That's about all I got. got <laughs> <laughs> Blowjobs and Blue Planet. Well, no, what I was going to say as well was they they actually um, they they generate scientific information on those programs Absolutely, because yeah. they invest so much money. Incredibly in, expensive, I bet. Yeah, but they can they can afford to do it because obviously the BBC makes them or the the production company makes them. Yeah. I think it is the BBC actually, and then they make loads of revenue by selling it to you know thousands of networks around the sure. world. So it's very very lucrative for them. So they can afford to do all these things like these you know crazy deep sea diving bells that go down underneath Antarctica. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine the expense. And yeah. they they yeah. also and they and they work out. Yeah. Um. You know, they identify new species, for instance. That's amazing. So they found a new species or some new. But there's nothing about the blobfish. Nothing. I'm still waiting. <laughs> every time that deep sea sub well, goes down, every time that light's <laughs> shining out into the abyss, something blob fish, blob fish, blob fish. Never see it. Here it comes. <laughs> um, well, maybe we can come back to blobfish watch on the later podcast. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. <laughs> Good. Nick. Yeah. Uh, you know, you must do this. As an academic, you get asked to give a load of like random talks to random people. 
Well, I'm doing one tonight, Steve, right. after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give a talk to the UCL Chemical and Physical Society, the oldest student society at UCL. That's They've asked me to give like a popular science talk. So you're going to go and wow them. Well, I've got this talk that I do at schools. Yeah. So I'm going to try and see whether that's appropriate. Yeah. Um, you're going to go. A, I'm just thinking about it now. I've suddenly had a wave of slight anxiety because <laughs> it's in two hours, and I realise that I haven't really prepared for it. Prepared for no, it. I'm no. sure you'll do a great job. Oh, I'll just freestyle it. Yeah. You know, they just want someone to stand there and say something for a bit. They just want a clown to arrive and. and I'll crack a few jokes. Yeah. I'll do that one about the the blowjob <laughs> and the sexual abuse in the Houses of Parliament. Always goes down well. <laughs> I don't have a joke that's about a, that. That's a big crowd pleaser. <laughs> it's always a wa- warms the crowd up. No they said, end. "Well, they said in the audience, they gave me a. They said who the audience were going to be. Yeah, and basically, it's going to be current undergraduates doing chemistry. Yeah, and emeritus professors. Brilliant. So that's quite a both broad. ends of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a difficult crowd to please. So yeah. So um, so I I gave a talk the other week. Um, oh yeah. But it was a very general talk to a very general audience. It was at my um, college. To whom? Uh, to uh, anyone that wanted to come. Really? But um, there was lots of people from a varied background. There was two people talking, me and a social anthropologist. Just wait one minute, Steve. Knock, knock. Who's there? Two. To who? To whom? <laughs> Carry on. Okay. So you're giving this speak to whom? Uh, <laughs> to, um, well, to, to, a, to a varied audience. Yeah. Um, but f- they could have been from any background. So the and one of the other people talking was a social anthropologist. Oh, okay. So, so when you say any background, you don't mean Borstal. No. Okay. No, they're, they're all at they're all at university. They're okay. all at the university, but they could be educated people. But they were, you know, some of them could be historians or philosophers or whatever. Right? They don't necessarily have to be scientists. Yeah. Which was why the, the other half of the talk was given by this guy who's a social anthropologist. And we don't normally we don't really do anthropology on the science show very often. But I thought it was quite interesting. So I think you'd like to hear about it, right? So, so anthropology, right? That's like the study of sort of human culture. People. Yeah. 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 I um, saw one of the worst films I've ever seen was about <laughs> a social anthropologist. Yeah. I can't even remember what it's called. Oh my god, it was bad. <laughs> Had Dustin Hoffman in it. And yeah. It was about a tribe. It's quite literally the worst <laughs> thing I've ever seen. <laughs> anyway, let's move right, on. Okay. Talking about the worst film uh, I've ever seen. Uh-huh. Have you seen Wonder Woman? No, I haven't. 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. I Is watched it, it on Sunday night. I literally felt like I'd been lobotomized. <laughs> I've never felt so. I had to leave the room. Why? What was wrong with it? It was almost our first, my first argument with my new wife, Maria, because she was enjoying it. She was, she was like in the, you know, having a strong female role model and all that. Fine. I'm all, all for strong. I yeah. like Alien. Yeah, you know what, Ripley. You know, I like Ripley that shit. Rockwells. It's brilliant. Yeah, Wonder Wonder Woman. It was just unambiguously shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've got that in my system. Sorry, Steve. Okay, interrupted. You're right. Let, take a deep breath. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. So <laughs> that's better. Okay. Good. So, um, so I did my thing. Right. I sat down. Um, gave my talk. Anyway, this guy called uh, Doctor Rupert Stash stands up. Talks about he he, he studies a uh, a tribe. What's his name? Rupert Stash. Rupert Stash. Rupert Stash. Okay, it's a um, good name. He's American, actually. He sounds quite English, doesn't he? Rupert. Like, yeah, Ru- Rupert's a quite English name. Yeah. Stash is a. I'm, I hope yeah. I'm sure he won't mind me talking about it because he gave a great talk. So he studies these people in Papua New Guinea called the Korakai. I don't know if you've ever heard of these people. I've heard of the four the four tribe in Papua yeah. New Guinea because they're famous because of the BSE thing. Right. Um, well, these this is not them. Okay. Um, and they but they but they essentially lived a. Um, 
it's kind of interesting because you were talking about the uh, BBC and uh, yeah. and wildlife documentaries. There's a lot of cannibals. And, and, and so there were a lot of cannibals on Papua New Guinea. It was th- they were a very remote tribe that they were kind of landlocked and have lived there. They hadn't really had any kind of interaction with people up until the kind of mid to late eighties. I mean, it's just insane, isn't it? Yeah, it's just unbelievable. But he's been going there back for twenty years. Every summer he goes there and sits with them and just tries to, and he can speak Break their language them out now. Break them out. They're savagery. <laughs> exactly. Does he take them copy of the Bible? <laughs> Smash them around <laughs> the head. No, no. Um, but what they do is they, so th- this particular tribe, they, um, they, they build tree houses and they live. Cool. And they, and they live in tree houses. I'm going to show you a picture of the, some of the tree houses that, that they live in. Um, uh, but they're oh my God, are they el- like an avatar? <laughs> well, this is what I'm going to talk to you about, right? So, so this is the kind of, these are the kind of houses that they that they kind of build. I'm showing Nick a picture now. Oh, we'll that's wicked! Right? I mean, they're like massive stilt houses. Yeah, so it looks th- it looks like a kind of like it's a kind like of wooden kind hut, of, yeah. but it's probably about twenty feet off the ground. I think it's like more that. than a hut. It's sort of rectangular shape. Yeah, with a nice like, if you got that as a treehouse as a kid, you'd be like, that is the coolest treehouse that there's ever yeah, been. Yeah, I mean, it looks generally like a sort of rectangular hut with a pitched. Um, sort of grass roof, thatched roof on sort of six or eight struts, basically. Yeah, in the woods. So they, so they live in the jungle. They've been, like I say, very remote, um, and they, they didn't. And so they've been. He's been kind of documenting their a kind of, I suppose, arrival into the understanding a little bit more about the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah, and so he's kind of talking about things about their culture and things oh, I about their language. I want to see it taught by this dude. It's really interesting. Anyway, what's that, what's so they're in this kind of difficult bit at the moment. So. Uh, planet Planet Earth, the previous Planet Earth, they went to Papua New Guinea. Oh, right, the program. The program. Earth. Sorry, I thought you were talking about like the previous Planet Earth before the monoliths from space came. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, in the, the, the BBC documentary came in, they, um, uh, they, they did a, a, a National Geographic bin there, and they've taken a load of photographs. And there's, so they're there basically a, spoiling them. They're spoiling, spoiling them. Just well, up there was a, there was an American philanthropist that came in. He's like, "Oh my god, I love this idea that they live in the trees and they just kind of like one with nature." And you know, I'm bored with my life in the, like yeah, in, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. you know. Let's get some tourists here. Anyway, so he paid for them to make tree tree houses really high, right? Because he wanted like this kind of like um, utopian like shot of like a bit like Avatar. Of them Hang on a minute. Living. Hang on a minute. So the philanthropist, yeah. He wasn't an anthropologist. No, no, no. He just came in. He's just a bloke. And he says, I'll give you these 10 goats. Whatever it was, build. yeah. And he said, but all I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to amp it up a bit. I want you to zhuzh it up. That's so rather dangerous. So anyway, they built this, right? So I'm going to show Nick another picture now. But why can't he just build them? Why is he so they built these, pi- they built these, right? So That's s- insane. <laughs> so I'm looking now. Steve's showing me a picture. I'm sure we'll share this at some yeah. point on our Twitter feed. It's like a lagoon, a pond, or some kind of forest river or lake and then there are several houses that look totally incongruous because they look tiny on the top of these vast poles which are extending above the treetops so you know probably something like you know a hundred feet in the air something like that yeah it must be a hundred feet even, maybe even more must be about a hundred feet i reckon so anyway but the thing is they don't actually live in these they just built them for no their, shit for, i mean can you imagine <laughs> what you know what you know what i mean you want to go down for a shit it's going to take you <laughs> half an hour to, to get down, down there and it, but anyway <laughs> Planet Earth arrives. They're like, "Oh, that's amazing! We should we should video this." National Geographic arrives. Goes, "Oh, we're going to start photographing this." Photographing the trees, houses, the, the, the Korokai. They don't give a monkeys about it. They're just like, "Yeah, go, go nuts! Go and like take a picture of it." 
because um, they live in their houses that are like 20 feet off the ground, which I showed you before. It's probably like snakes and things stops them coming to bed. They just don't, they just don't, they just, they, like, exactly as you said, they saw that it doesn't make sense to live, it makes sense to live 20 feet off the ground, it yeah. doesn't make sense to live 200 feet off the ground. Anyway, um, now they're in this, th there's been a separate, like, smaller, wild, um, like, documentary about um, this guy that kind of goes and lives with the tribe. Much smaller budget, much more kind of like Bruce Parry, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So they've gone in, and they've basically exposed this process. They basically said that the, the Korokai don't really live in these big trees. It's done as a bit of a publicity stunt for them to get some money. And oh, so these people thought that it was a thing that they yeah. would do? Oh, my. So now, now they're in this really interesting time oh. where, like, Planet Earth, which is this big flagship thing of the BBC wants to go and you know w they can't do they can't publish this like this follow-up study um with this like much smaller tribe uh documentary which of which the Ru rupert was involved with which is why can he kind of spoke about it because it would go against planet earth and planet earth is the big flagship um documentary. so planet earth says that they live up there and, and that's don't. true they don't but planet earth says they planet do. earth said it and national so Geographic planet earth said got it. it wrong yeah oh well that's sad isn't it <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah. silly. It's interesting. The, the another thing, interesting thing about their culture is that so the word tourist. So that well, they didn't know they didn't have a word for tourist until no. until the eighties. No. But for them, they've they appropriated it. It means anybody that comes from outside is, yeah. is they define as a tourist. So so for us, so they've they've actually redefined what that term is. So for them, they don't recognise those people that have another life, and then they come in and they they go and see their yeah, um, yeah. environment and how they live. They just they're people that arrive. Yeah. That um, are just called, are called tourists. It's kind of interesting, yeah. isn't it? It is interesting. All that language stuff's interesting. Yeah. So um, yeah. So that was uh, it's kind of that was um, uh, my interesting evening the other day. Oh, I need to meet more Rupert. interesting people like that. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anthropology. Bunsen, Burner, Dolly, Machine, Internal, Combustion, Why Do We Need, Petri, Oscar, Bay. Isaac, Newton, Transplanting, Nick, hello, so, yeah. podcasts, um, podcasts, I feel a bit tired, yeah, and it's winter now, and it's dark, uh, the, the evening, the, so since we started podcasting, the sun has set, the earth has rotated, Mm. And so that means it's time to finish. I Did think. you see Venus and Jupiter lining up the other night? No, I missed it. I got up early to look at it, and I was looking at the sky because it said that it's going to be in the east southeast. Right. I spent ages looking east southeast, and I can't see shit. And I realised I was looking west northwest. <laughs> <laughs> Completely, in the, could not be in the more more of a wrong. <laughs> I just got totally confused. Sometimes I lose my sense of direction. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? I want to tell you something. Sorry to go a bit off topic in, sure. a, in an outro, but I have this weird sense when I go to a railway station. Yeah. The railway station feels totally different if you're going into it one way than coming off a train another way. <laughs> what the Don't what stick the with me. Okay, see, so I go into... Southampton Railway Station. Yeah. You walk in, W. H. Smith's on the right, there's some stuff on the left, yeah. a couple of shops, people stand on the platform. That feels like Southampton Railway Station. If, on the other hand, I get off a train at another onto area... Onto that same platform? No, or onto a different platform, and I walk over the bridge and I walk onto that platform, uncannily, it feels like a totally different place, just because I've entered it from another direction. You're fucking nuts, mate. That is weird. Does anyone else have... I wonder if there anyone else have that. It's like a non... 
non-commuting maybe numbers or something. Maybe that's a real Different thing. one way had, and the other way. You know, after we had that conversation about um, me being uh, emotional on airplanes, people found one of some of the shedlings contacted us. Did with they a, really? It's a real thing. It's, oh an, like a, it's, it's a real... But it just felt weird. You come in the other way, you suddenly think, wow, this is that place. This is that place that I know. <laughs> but it doesn't look like that place because it's not in the right context. I've come from the other way. Right. Okay. No. No, that's just you, Nick. Anyway, if people want to get in touch to share their thoughts <laughs> on my strange mental problems, they can contact us at The Science Shared on Twitter. Yeah, we are, I, you can contact me directly. I'm at Steve the Chemist. And I'm at The Evans Lab. Um, and you can email us and maybe even let, let, um, give us a review on iTunes. That'd yeah, we've got a very inactive Facebook, uh, Facebook account as well. Yeah, because well, basically I, I do all of the PR yeah, for The Science really Shared. You, do, you literally do nothing. I do nothing. Nothing. So, so maybe, I've maybe got a task that Steve set me a long time ago, which is to get some business cards made. I haven't yeah. even done that. No, and that was probably, what, eight months ago? <laughs> yeah, that is. I mean, I was going to say I've been getting married and that was my excuse, but really I don't have an excuse <laughs> for that one. <laughs> anyway, hopefully people like the Science Shed and, and they should contact us and then uh, they can hear us more. Bye! Bye!